Hi there. Welcome to the Calm Podcast, combining academia and life with Marilyn. My name is Marilyn Ritchie, and I have been a mentor and a scientist for 15 years, and I wanted to find a platform to reach more of the academic community than I interact with at my own university. My goal is to give you strategies and ideas for how to achieve harmony between work and life. Sit back, relax, and let's achieve harmony together. Hey there, how are you today? I hope that you are having a good day and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Calm Podcast. This is Marilyn Ritchie and I'm really excited to talk about our topic for today. Is anyone else starting to wonder why some people are behaving the way they are? We are In September of 2020 right now, the pandemic is still ongoing. Black Lives Matter is an incredibly important topic and movement that is forefront in a lot of our minds. School is back in session and it's the strangest school year anybody's ever experienced. And what strikes me is how the people around us are responding to all of this so differently. Some people are thriving in this stress and chaos and just really uncertain time, and other people are really struggling. I've started to think about why that's happening, and I am wondering how much of it gets back to some of our core kind of the core of who are who we are, what our personality is. And it occurred to me that I did an exercise with my lab last year for our lab retreat that brought out a lot of information about how we're all so different and how we respond to things really differently. And so I thought it might be a fun thing to talk about for the podcast. So The personality assessment tool that I'm going to talk about is called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a personality tool that goes way back. There are some reports that it goes back to the 4th century. There are others that clearly show that the word Enneagram was coined back in 1940s or so. But a lot of the early work is really in the kind of 1930s and 40s. It's basically a personality assessment where each person is categorized into one of nine interconnected personality types. And it is said that we all have some of all of the types as part of us but we tend to emphasize one or two of the types. And I'll just tell you, if you're listening to this and you're like, what the heck is she talking about? When I first heard about this, it was on a podcast several years ago, and I thought it sounded like the most silly thing ever. You know, I've done the Myers-Briggs, I've done the DISC assessment, and those made sense to me. This sounded like total nonsense. And so I kind of, you know, dismissed it and moved on. 
Then it came up again in three or four different podcasts, different people. It popped up on Facebook. Then it popped up in a book I was reading. You know, it's one of those things where, like, you've never heard of it before, but once you've heard of it, it's everywhere. So I decided to dig in a little bit and try it. And I was really surprised at how interesting it is and how accurate it was, or it is, at least for me. So uh, I thought it would be a fun topic for the podcast to talk about what it is, how I used it with my lab group, and how it might be useful for you to understand yourself and your family members and the people that you work with. So one of the reasons that I like the Enneagram so much is that there are nine different types. And for me, when I read through them, they make a lot of sense and I can identify with the description. I don't find that with some of the other assessments. And so I really like the different descriptions in the Enneagram. So as I mentioned, there are nine types and I'm gonna quickly go through what they are and uh, see if you can identify yourself, you know, just from the simple description. Although I, well, I'll be honest, I could figure myself out just from the description, but then I have taken Enneagram quizzes. There are tons of them on the internet. They're free. If you just do a search for Enneagram uh, quiz, you'll find a bunch of them. And some of them take five minutes. Some of them take 20 minutes. I've taken several. They all come up with the same answer. So the nine types, number one, a type one is the reformer. They are rational and idealistic. Number two, the helper. They are the caring interpersonal type. Type three is the achiever, the success-oriented pragmatic type. If you can't guess, I'm a type three. Type four, the individualist, the sensitive withdrawn type. Type five, the investigator, the intense cerebral type. Type six, the loyalist, the committed security-oriented type. Type seven is the enthusiast, the busy fun-loving type. Type eight, the challenger, the powerful dominating type. And type nine, the peacemaker, the easygoing, self-effacing type. You might notice that as you hear those or once you take the quiz that you have a dominant type, but then also you tend toward another neighboring type. So there's this concept in the Enneagram called the wings. So I am, for example, a type three with a two wing. So what that means is that my dominant type is the achiever, but I also have a lot of tendency toward a type two, which is the helper. So I really do have a lot of um, kind of generosity and caring and empathy and trying to help others as part of my personality. One of the negatives of the type two is people pleasing, which if you've heard the podcast, uh, other episodes, I've mentioned that I'm a recovering people pleaser. So that's the my type two wing um, off of my achiever type three. So what is fascinating about these different types, if you read through the descriptions of them, 
Um, and I will say the the website that I like the best for this is the Enneagram Institute. They have a lot of information about the different types. They have a great free quiz. If you're interested, you can sign up for their free emails and they'll send you information. And I thought it was great. But what's really interesting is that not only can you read about your own personality and your type and just the general characteristics of it, but it also talks about where we go when we are in strength, so when things are going well, and where we go when we are under stress. And that was like incredibly eye-opening for me. So when I'm under stress, I go to a type nine, which is the peacemaker, which you would think sounds great, except that it's the negative side of the peacemaker, which is to be very blunt, very short, um, high temper, and that is a, a tendency for the type three to go to the stress areas of the type nine under duress. So this may not be making sense if you haven't read this before. I'm trying to explain it as simply as possible, but the reading through the description, at least for me, and I will say I had my lab members do it. I'll talk about that in just a minute. We were stunned at how accurate it describes how we are on a regular day, how we behave when things are going really well, and what happens to us when we're under a lot of stress. So part of the reason that I thought this would be so interesting to talk about right now is that we are under a lot of stress. We as a society, we in our communities, it's just a really stressful time. And so it's interesting to think about how we're responding to this so differently and how much of that has to do with our personality types. Additionally, as a leader of a research group in academia, I'm thinking a lot about how to be a good leader for my team right now. And in general, it's a good idea to think about the members of your team, but right now it's really incredibly important to think about what they need because they are also different. And so this tool can be really useful in thinking about what motivates people. So if you dig into the different types, you will learn that what is motivating is very different for some people. So for the type three, success and achievement is what motivates us. And so for people in my research group who are also type three, I know that they are also interested in achievement and success, and that is what is driving them. Whereas for another type, the ability to care for others may be what motivates them. And so putting opportunities in front of individuals and how they respond to them can be different based on what motivates them. Um, what people fear is very different. And part of that can be captured in your Enneagram type. And so for the achiever, for example, a fear of failure is a predominant fear because we're driven to success. Whereas for another type, a fear of hurting someone's feelings may be the predominant fear. And then also, where do people get their joy? You know, what what takes them to the 
best version of themselves. And knowing that can help with coming up with strategies to reward and encourage individuals. If you know what's going to bring them joy, putting those opportunities in front of them can be really helpful. All right. To dig in a little further, I am going to tell you a little bit more about each of the types in the event that you couldn't identify or even wrap your head around how you might identify yourself from the short descriptions. I'm going to give you longer descriptions of each one, and then I'm going to talk about the activity that we did in my lab and how it was just so informative and so interesting. We had a really good time doing it. So as I mentioned, there are nine types. Type one is the perfectionist. A type one is a person who is conscientious, sensible, ethical, responsible, idealistic, serious, self-disciplined, orderly, and feel personally obligated to improve themselves and the world. A type two sees the world through relationships and define themselves through their service to others. They may be selfless, loving, and giving, or dependent, prideful, and manipulative. A type three is a person who measures themselves by external achievement and the roles that they play. They may be goal-oriented, accomplished, and excel at what they do, or they can embellish the truth, be overly competitive, and focused only on their own accomplishments. Type fours live primarily in their imagination and in their feelings. They may be artistic, sensitive, creative, articulate, and inspiring, or moody, elitist, and self-absorbed. A type five is a person who pulls back from the world and others to observe and prefers to live in their mind. They may be wise, visionary, and knowledgeable, or abstract, stingy, eccentric, and intellectually arrogant. Type sixes are people who anticipate life's dangers. When healthy, they have faith, are courageous, loyal, and effective. When struggling, they are cowardly, hypervigilant, and paranoid. Type sevens love to plan and anticipate positive future events. They enjoy having variety and multiple choices to choose from. They do not want to be limited, restricted, or bored. They may be well-rounded, affirming, and generous, or at their worst, they can be self-focused, an escapist, and have an insatiable appetite for excitement. Type eights are people who fear being weak, vulnerable, and harmed. So they create an image that they are strong, able to prevail, determined, and committed to those who are innocent. If they are not doing well, they can be vengeful, excessive, and destructive. And type nines are people who are very receptive to their own environment and downplay their own presence. They can be loving, down-to-earth, modest and trusting, or stubborn, lazy, and asleep to themselves. These are all descriptions that I got off of the Enneagram Institute, so I did not write these on my own. I'm just reading them from their website. So everyone in my lab did this as part of a lab retreat. We thought it would be a fun way to just see how different we all are. The Enneagram can help us learn about ourselves, but it's also really a useful tool for organizational learning. And a lot of companies have implemented this um, through the HR groups or the human resource groups because each personality type has a particular 
strength and an area where they can make contributions. Each type also has aspects that are missing. And so, as I think we all know, making decisions and being creative in a work environment requires all different types. It requires a lot of diversity. And so, the Enneagram helps us to appreciate that diversity. We want all of the types to be present in our group because each type has something unique and important to bring. So it's not as though there's a good type and a bad type. They all have their strengths and limitations. But understanding these different styles at work can help us bring the group together and achieve our goals as a team. And so, for example, a type one may come into a situation at work and wonder Like, is everyone here being responsible? Are they, you know, doing their best job? Whereas a type three might be thinking, is everybody competent, focused, and goal-oriented for this task? Whereas a type six might be wondering, is everybody here loyal and trustworthy and like-minded? So, the thoughts that people have coming into a work situation could be really different. So at our lab retreat, we all did the Enneagram quiz and shared the answers and I pulled them all together. And we we actually broke rule number one. There's a great uh, article about using this for um, organizational management on globalleadership.org. I will put the link Uh, on my website. But the first tip for using the Enneagram for team development is uh, resist the desire to type someone. Uh, They say that if you type someone too early, you might confuse them and yourself and short circuit their discovery. So I broke this rule number one whenever we did this in my lab retreat because I thought it would be useful. And so I, I guess in some ways disagree with this article. And I think the people in my lab would agree as we talked about it afterwards. We think it's useful to try to think about, once you know what the types are, to think about the people around you and what you think they are based on how you perceive them. And then to learn how they perceive themselves and to notice when those are the same and when they're different. It just can be really informative for yourself about how you're viewing others and Are you paying attention to their outward projection of who they are, or are you kind of creating who you think they are in your mind? So as I said, each of us did the Enneagram quiz, shared the types, and then in the retreat, we had everybody's name up on the wall, and then we had little post-it notes, and we went up and just stuck numbers on what number we each thought that one another was. And it was striking how some people were super obviously one type and other people we had a really hard time guessing. And I think that's because of this, um, there's the way that we perceive ourselves and there is the way that others perceive us because of the way that we project ourselves into the world. All right, a few other points about doing this as a group activity should you decide to do it. So 
as I just mentioned, number one, resist the desire to type someone. I go back and forth on this one. I think it was a really fun way to learn about the Enneagram and about each other. Uh, number two, they say to remember that the Enneagram is not designed to pigeonhole someone in, into a type. And I do think that's important. We did notice through the activity that some people did not have one type. They really sat squarely between two, whereas some had one dominant and they had a wing that was kind of a slight tendency. There were others who really didn't have a dominant type. And so this is not something that, you know, you can put one label on someone and that is who they are all the time. In different situations, people may fluctuate between different types. The real goal of this, so number three from this Global Leadership article, is to spark an understanding of one another. And that's really where I wanted to use it. Just learning about how individuals are so different can really help us open up our curiosity and have more compassion for one another. So if we understand that we view the world through different lenses, which have a lot to do with um, how we were raised, the limiting beliefs that were put before us as you know children and as teenagers that have stuck with us you know all this time, and just kind of the experiences that we've had in life do shape the way that we view the world and the way that we respond to the world. And this is just one way to remind ourselves of that and try to get a better understanding about why people aren't responding to the situation the way that we are. And then as a leader, so if you are the leader of a team where it's incredibly helpful is understanding, as I mentioned earlier, what motivates your team members and what their fears are so that you can coach them and mentor them and give them the feedback that is going to be useful to them. And so, for example, uh, type two, so the helper, you have to recognize that they have an innate desire to help everyone. That means that it's really easy for them to overcommit themselves and say yes to way too many things because they never want to tell someone no. They want to help everyone on their team. And so they can become overcommitted and they can feel taken advantage of. And so sometimes as the team leader, we have to step in and make sure that they can't say yes to all the things and we have to help prioritize things for them. So my research group did this and it was really interesting to learn. So out of my group, we have three perfectionists, three helpers, three achievers, one individualist, one uh, thinker, one guard, oh, I'm sorry, I read that wrong, four thinkers, three loyalists, two optimists, and one, no, two mediators, type nines. We had zero type eights, the challenger, which we thought was really interesting. So if you'll remember when I talked about the different types, the type eight, um, they are strong, determined, committed. Uh, they don't want people to think they're weak. It's very interesting to me that we ended up without any of that type in our group. But once I saw these, 
it was like a light bulb went off that explains why like when a new project starts in the lab there are certain people who take charge and they're like okay I think we should do this I think we should do this and we should do that and then I have some members of my team who will get really inquisitive and well wait do you think if we tried it this other way might that work or wait a minute what about this other thing and then we have some members of the team who are just like, how can I help? All right, what do you want to have done? Yep, I'll do that. I'll take that on. I'll do that. And then we have a couple of team members who are the constant cheerleaders who are always smiling and always kind of the optimist, you know, in, in they're like, oh my gosh, this is going to work. This is going to be so exciting. And then we have some who are a little more worried that it's not going to work because they want everything to be right. So a type one, a perfectionist doesn't want to be wrong. And so sometimes they can be a little bit more timid about something that is bold and, um, you know, really challenges the status quo because it might not work. So as I said, there is no bad type. It's just knowing what type you are and what type the people around you are so that you can understand why they're responding to a situation in the way that they are. As I wrap up for today, I I hope that you found this interesting. It may not make as much sense if you've never done the Enneagram, and so I would encourage you to Take a few minutes and do one of the quizzes online and it may help kind of put some perspective into these different types. I think it's a really fun and interesting way to think about ourselves and to think about the people around us. I've definitely wanted to um, have the members of my family go through it and we've done short versions and so I I now think I know where everybody's type is. Although my kids, you know, I have a teenager and a tween, and so they may not fully be developed into the the personality that, that they're going to have, you know, for the long run. But even just recognizing that we are really different and unique from one another, you know, even though I have two kids and they have certain qualities that... I can see myself and I can see my husband, they are not carbon copies of us. And so where I was really motivated about something in high school, about a particular thing, my son may not be because he's different than I am. He has a different personality. He has different things that motivate him. He has different things that he's afraid of. And just the knowledge of the differences in one another I think can help us go a long way towards having greater compassion and understanding and grace and empathy for one another. Especially right now when the world is just so upside down and extremely stressful. And and I don't know about the rest of you, but there are definitely days where I sit and I'm scrolling through social media or I'm watching how, you know, people are being interviewed on the news or I'm reading an article And the thought that goes through my head is like, what 
are you doing? How can you possibly be thinking like that? And I have to take a step back and take that judgment away and recognize that like, they are viewing the world through the lenses that their life experience has given to them. And that's not the same as mine. So while things might look a certain way to me, it just, it doesn't look the same to someone else. And we have to all have the space to view the world in the way that we do. And so I think that the Enneagram is a useful tool to remind us, even if you you try it and you're like, uh, you know, I don't see myself in this one, like that's okay. It, these personality tools aren't perfect. I'm certainly no um, teacher of the Enneagram. Uh, you know, I think it was a fun tool and I'm learning a lot about it. I've read two books about it as well because I think it's really interesting. But in no way does it definitely like define who a person is uh, in every capacity. But for me, it's been a really useful tool to understand why why my husband responds to a situation differently than I do and why my kids respond differently and why when certain opportunities present themselves at work, some of my lab members respond in one way and others respond in a different way. And it's, it's because we're all unique and different. And that's really the thing to embrace and recognize as part of what makes groups and team dynamics so wonderful is having that diversity, the different personalities, the different life experiences coming together to be creative and innovative and passionate about the things that we're doing together. So I'm going to wrap up for today. I hope that you are well. I hope that you are taking time to take care of you and have a good week. We'll talk to you next time. You've just listened to another episode of the Calm Podcast. I hope that some of the strategies that I talked about are helpful to you in your journey through academia and life. As they say, it's not all about the destination. It's about the journey. Let's make it a great one. Until next time.